So a few weeks ago, we began a teaching series called The Face of God. What we didn't realize back then is that in the following days, over 65 churches would collaborate to record and release a single to sing a blessing over Britain at this time. The lyrics to that song lifted straight from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And that song has gone viral. Within 24 hours, a million hits on YouTube. That number's constantly rising, closer to 2 million as we speak. The national press have picked up on it. Local newspapers have picked up on it. Up and down the country, worship pastors are being interviewed about this song because so many people are talking about the blessing. You know, atheists, agnostics, people from other faith groups listening in, asking questions. Is it possible to experience the blessing of God? If you could see the face of God, what would you see? And that's what this teaching series is all about. I mentioned a few weeks back that in a moment of crisis, individually or nationally or globally, people ask the same question. Where is God in the midst of our suffering? And that question is based on two presuppositions. The first one is around the existence of God. To ask where is God, it presupposes he exists. He must be somewhere. The second presupposition is around the character and nature of God. Either he's absent, and that says one thing about his character, or he's present but he's inactive and that says something else about his character so whenever we ask this question where is God in the midst of our suffering what the soul is really asking is who is God in the midst of our suffering and we don't really need to ask that question because that question has been emphatically answered in the person of Jesus. As you look at the historical person of Jesus, you see the face of God. And as you stare into the face of God, as you gaze upon the person of Jesus, what you see is a face of compassion. You see a God of compassion. That God isn't absent, nor is he present, but inactive. No, he's present and he's active. What is he? active doing he's demonstrating his compassion let me just nerd out on the language for one minute the word compassion it's a compound word two words have been shoved together to form a new word com meaning with passion from the latin verb meaning to suffer so when you say i'm passionate about dot 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 what you're really saying is i so believe in it i would willingly suffer for the cause to be compassionate is to suffer with. When we talk about a God of compassion, we're talking about a God who's with us, not absent. He's with us. He's active. He's suffering with us and he's suffering for us. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at encounters, stories of Jesus in the gospel. And we're going to look at one today in Luke chapter four. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter four. The backdrop to this story, by the way, in Luke three, we've just had the baptism of Jesus. This moment where the heavens are torn open and the father speaks over his son in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the father says, this is my boy. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased immediately after that Jesus is driven into the wilderness that's what this story is about so Luke chapter 4 verse 1 Jesus full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry that's an understatement two quick thoughts then Jesus entering the wilderness for 40 days 
You know the word quarantine? It's a Venetian word that was used in the 14th and 15th century. From the, the word quarantina, it literally means 40 days. Now this word was used during the Black Death, this horrible disease that was spreading across the globe. So when ships came into harbour to prevent further spread of the disease, the ships would have to wait for 40 days, quarantina, before passengers could come on board. So this idea of 40 days to prevent the spread of a virus. So when we read of Jesus entering into the wilderness for 40 days, we can quite literally say that Jesus went into quarantine, right? So if you've been asking, God, do you not even understand or know what I'm going through right now? As you read Luke 4, the answer is, yeah, yeah. Jesus went through this kind of experience. So quarantine, 40 days in isolation. Here's the second point then. Quarantine, at least in the 14th, 15th century, was a process of purification to stop the spread of the disease. That's probably what this has felt like for many of us, a season of purification, a season of everything being stripped back. And Jesus experienced that too. And yet he didn't have Wi-Fi. He couldn't Zoom call his mates. He went without food. This is like a brutal stripping back of everything that felt normal and familiar and comfortable as he experienced life in the harsh terrain of the wilderness. Like for many of us, this lockdown period has felt like a stripping back. I was on a phone call with John Carter, who's part of our leadership team last week, and I was having a rough day and he called me and just you know, kindly asked Pete, how are you doing? And it caught me off guard. And I ended up sobbing on this phone call. And I basically said, John, there's certain strengths that I carry as a leader, but there's corresponding weaknesses. And I feel like right now, all of my weaknesses are on display. Let me give you some examples like digital comms, like uh, that's a weak spot for me. If you ask friends, family, if you text me, if you get a response within an hour, that is unbelievable. That's me on fire. If you get a response like that day, that, that's me on a really good day. If you get a response, that's pretty good. If you don't get a response, that's fairly standard. And if you're a friend, family member, then you've got used to that. Like my digital comms are weak. And what we're left with in this lockdown moment is basically we're left with digital comms. I've been tested and found wanting. Secondly, I'm at my best as a leader in the room where I read the atmosphere, I look at faces, tracking what the Spirit's doing across the room. At the moment, I'm not in the room. I'm often not even in the Zoom. Like I'm missing loads of my Zoom meetings, not sure what meetings I'm meant to be at. So this exposes a weakness for me because I'm so reliant on being in the moment, in the room, and currently I'm not in the moment, not in the room. Thirdly, I'm not a natural pastor. Like I love people. I'm an extrovert. I love being around others. I care passionately about people, um, but I'm not a natural pastor. I don't have high levels of empathy. So in a moment of anxiety where people need love and kindness and a listening ear, I'm a horrible listener. Like I'm, I'm too interested in what I have to say. Like I'm a really bad listener. So as a pastor, I've been tested and found wanting. And what it's felt like is that all these weaknesses are on display for everyone else to see. Right. I felt exposed at this time. It's like when you're a kid and you have that dream and you go to school and you're in a maths lesson. Then you look down, you realize you've forgotten to wear any trousers and pants. Anyone have that dream? I can't see any faces. I'm presuming you're like, yeah, 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 we've had that dream. 
Some of you are thinking no one's had that dream. Pete, Pete needs to see a, a therapist. And I, I, I probably do. But it's this anxiety dream of like feeling exposed. That's what it's felt like for me over the last few weeks. Why am I telling you that? Why am I sharing this massive overshare moment? This isn't group therapy for me, although it has been therapeutic. So thanks so much for being a part of this. But it's, it's not group therapy. I'm not saying this because I want your affirmation. Go on, email me. You know, just tell me how well KX is doing right now. I don't want your affirmation. I want your gifts. Um, that's obviously a joke. Why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because I know many of you are experiencing exactly the same. A sense of stripping back where you feel naked and exposed and insecure and vulnerable. And when we read Luke 4, we realize Jesus entered into quarantine. He experienced this stripping back, this vulnerability, this exposing moment in the wilderness. So as we look at Jesus, yes, we see the face of God. We see a face of compassion. We also see what human flourishing looks like so let's pick up Luke chapter 4 and keep reading there's three temptations three testings that Jesus experiences from the enemy so this is verse 3 the devil said to him if you're the son of God just notice that by the way the enemy's trying to undermine this bond between father and son that was affirmed at the baptism. As the father says, this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. The enemy's trying to undermine that. If you're the son of God. I didn't hear that. I think you must have made that up. Are you sure you're the son of God? Trying to undermine the identity of Jesus. Because if the enemy can undermine that bond, if he can break that bond, the rest of the ministry of Jesus will begin to crumble. That's what the enemy's going after in our lives during quarantine, trying to undermine this bond between the Father, our Father in heaven, and here on earth, us as we do life in lockdown. So if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. What is this? An invitation towards from the enemy. It's the invitation towards self-sufficiency, right? Have any of you experienced this in lockdown? You've suddenly realised you're not self-sufficient. You can't do this on your own. You're like, oh my goodness, I actually have needs. I thought I was a self-made man, an independent woman, throw your hands up at me. Like, I thought I could do this on my own, but I have needs. I need to see my friends. I need more human contact. I need the coffee shops to be open soon. Like, we have needs, and that's not a bad thing. The culture tells us that we should be independent, self-made. It's nonsense. So when the enemy says to Jesus, go on, be self self-sufficient use all your powers to look after number one listen to what Jesus responds he says it is written he's quoting scripture because he's digested the word of God it is written he quotes Deuteronomy man shall not live on bread alone the full quote from Deuteronomy is man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God now, what are the words that have just come from the mouth of God? Luke chapter three, what does the father say? This is my son whom I love. No, Jesus is saying, I don't need to be self-sufficient. I don't want to be self-sufficient. I have needs. I need my father. I'm going to live in this unbroken relationship between the father and me, the son. His love defines me. What if in this stripping back, this vulnerable moment, what if we pressed into that voice, the father speaking over us? You don't need to be self-sufficient. You don't need to be the self-made man, the independent woman. Rely on my love. That would be empowering, right? 
Let's look at the second temptation then. Verse five, the devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. This is the enemy saying to Jesus, look at all of this splendor. If you bow down and worship me, it'll be yours. In other words, the enemy's offering Jesus the kingdom without the cross, his destiny without any suffering. What's the catch? Well, the catch is you have to bow down and worship me. That's what the enemy's saying. Now, what's this temptation essentially about? It's essentially about finding your significance outside of God. Now, in this lockdown, this stripping back, this quarantine that we've been experiencing, I'm sure most of us can relate to this understanding of significance being questioned. We're not bossing it in the workplace in the way that we're used to. In terms of ticking things off lists, we're less productive than we're used to. We're getting distracted more easily. Suddenly these questions about our significance. Am I significant? Am I accomplishing anything? Who am I significant to? All these insecure things rushing through our minds and what if the father was inviting us in saying you don't need to find significance in your workplace in your accomplishments in what you know who you know your paycheck why don't you find significance in this voice you're my son my daughter whom I love with you I'm well please what if we as the followers of Jesus found significance in that voice that would be a game changer right Listen to how Jesus responds in verse eight. Jesus answered, it is written. He's quoting scripture again. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Like I'm not bowing down to you, Jesus says to the enemy. I'll bow down to one and that is my father in heaven and he loves me. Third temptation then, verse nine, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, again, trying to undermine that identity that was affirmed at the baptism. He said, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. In other words, to the the central point of, of the Jewish community, the temple, right at the top of the temple, throw yourself down, the angels will catch you, everyone will be so impressed and you'll win the love of the crowds. What is this temptation essentially about? It's finding a sense of affirmation, a sense of love outside of God and essentially through the crowds. Now again, I can relate to this, where getting less affirmation, not around my work colleagues, no one's patting me, I'm guessing, no one's patting you on the back saying, well done, you are you are bossing it, you're doing so well, we're not around our friends who are speaking life and encouragement over us, we're getting less affirmation potentially, at least less face-to-face affirmation than we've ever had before, suddenly these insecure questions begin to rise, like, am I worthy of affirmation, am I actually loved? That's what's going on. The enemy saying, God, win the love of the crowds, find your identity there. And what does Jesus say? He says, it is said, quoting scripture again, this is verse 12, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Like, no, 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 I'm not putting God to the test. I know his voice. I've internalized his voice that he loves me, that he's for me. I don't need to prove to anyone that I'm lovable because God has already spoken it over me. 
So in this moment of everything being stripped back, what if we were being invited further into the heart of God, where we find, yes, significance in his love, but more than that, that's our primary source of affirmation. We don't need the love and the affirmation of the crowds or the virtual crowds because we're affirmed by the creator of the universe who loves us. If we could grab hold of that, it would change everything. So let's read how the story goes on. When the devil had finished all this testing, um, he left him until an opportune time. And then this is the key verse, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. Now, remember, verse one, Jesus, full of the spirit, left the Jordan. So he entered into the wilderness full of the spirit. But in verse 14, it says he came back to Galilee in the power of the spirit. Like this brutal time in quarantine, everything being stripped back, insecure questions, invitations to find identity outside of God, significance outside of God, affirmation outside of God. Jesus stands firm. And and this whole experience was an empowering experience that was the foundation then of his ministry. What if we look back in months, maybe years to come on this quarantine, the COVID-19 crisis, we'll probably say to our kids, maybe grandchildren, like, it sucked. It was brutal. I hated every moment of it. And yet, when everything was being stripped back, I realized I don't need to be self-sufficient. If I rely on God, that is the pathway to life. I don't need to find significance in work, in what I know, in who I know. I find significance in that I'm a child of God. I don't need to win the love of the crowds because I already know in the deepest part of my being that I'm loved. And when I realized all of that, it changed my life. And I came out of quarantine with a richer, fuller life because of what God did when I was in the wilderness. I was empowered by the spirit in that time. Now, if that was our testimony of COVID-19, of this quarantine, this lockdown moment, wow, the church could come out of this crisis alive, operating in the power of the spirit, ready to push forward God's purposes in the world. So how do we say yes to all of that? How do we look at the example of Jesus and say, yes, we see the face of God, but we also see what human flourishing looks like. It looks like being close to the love of the father. Here's what you do. You stare at the face of God. It's a face of compassion, that Jesus isn't absent from this moment. No, he's present and he's not inactive. He is active, he's suffering with us, he's by our side, he's suffering for us. And he will lead us out of this dark valley into green pastures where we're alive in the spirit. That's what's on offer. As we bathe, soak ourselves in the love of the Father, everything begins to change. This is the invitation to stare at the face of God.